As has been mentioned, it's good to look out and see a, a good number have come out to worship our God this evening. Um, and I see some special visitors in the audience, and it's good to, good to see you, good to have you with us this evening. Send the light. That's our goal. Send the light. Share the gospel with those around us. And we'll get to that as we conclude our lesson this evening. In recent weeks, I say that, it's been a couple of months since I've been on social media, but the last time I was, I was seeing these posts about these Bible verses. They were being shared over and over again. And they were being shared in the form of pictures. And when they were shared, Facebook was blocking them. And it was, it was the oddest thing. It, there were verses like, the Lord will be with you wherever you go. Not something controversial to most people. But Facebook was hiding it behind these sensitive content barriers. Now, you could say, yes, I'm willing to view this content and see it anyway. But it alarmed people. And rightfully so. But I just saw post after post after post about this. They were angry about it. They were indignant, which we should be, but they didn't do anything about it. There was no effort that I saw being made to counteract what was being done other than to complain about it. What good does that do? How are we going to combat the censoring of God's word when all we do is complain about it? We're going to see tonight that the censoring of God's word has been happening for as long as God's word has been available to man. So it, it shouldn't surprise us that Facebook is censoring God's word. They make no secret that they censor stuff all the time. As controversial as especially parts of God's word are, why would it surprise us that God's word would be among those things being censored? We're going to look at the history of the censorship. We're going to look at it in the Bible. But is it happening today? Is it happening every day in our lives? We're going to explore that as we go through the lesson tonight. We're going to start with how it happens. How do we censor God's word? First of all, it's made illegal. There are countries where it is illegal to own a Bible, where if you own one and you're found with one, you can be killed. There are other countries where any practicing of a uh, Christian faith is strictly prohibited. And if you try to teach someone, you will quickly find yourself in jail. But in some research, I found this organization that actively works to send Bibles to some of these areas. They smuggle them into the countries. There was a list of 52 countries with various levels of restrictions placed on the import, importation of Bibles. That's scary. And at least 8 to 10 of those were considered covert operations only, where they are sometimes illegally crossing the borders just to get Bibles to people in those countries, or doing meetups at the border in secret so that they can get Bibles across to those who need them. In addition to completely making it illegal, they make it inaccessible. The Catholic Church is really the premier example of this. 
in 1229, the decree of the Council of Toulouse stated this, We prohibit also that the laity should be permitted to have the books of the Older New Testament, but we most strictly forbid that they have any translation of these books. To that point, the Bible had, was only being written by hand in Latin. Think about that. Latin in 1229. So anyone living in what would become Britain, in what would become France, if they managed to get their hands on a Bible that they weren't allowed to have in the first place, they probably couldn't read it because it was still in Latin. At that point, a pretty much antiquated language. It was, it was not in use except in the reading of the Bible. Well, then in 1234, they went a step for, further. In the ruling of the Council of Tarragona, it said, no, man, no one may possess the books of the Old and New Testaments in the Romance language. And if anyone possesses them, he must turn them over to the local bishop within eight days after promulgation of this decree so that they may be burned. They were burning Bibles in a language that no one could read because they didn't want people to have access to the Word of God. Remember, during this time, your average person couldn't read at all, much less Latin. Then in 1380, John Wycliffe transferred, translated the first Bible from Latin into English. He was executed for it, and in a proclamation, it was said, Wycliffe's bones were exhumed and publicly burned, and the ashes were thrown into the swift river. For the Catholics, this is the ultimate just excommunication. They killed him, they dug up his bones, they burned them and scattered them. And according to them, that would keep them from being resurrected, keep them from having eternal life because they had been scattered. Of course, we know that we were, we were formed from dust into the dust we shall return. We'll be raised no matter what state our earthly body is in, whether we're still alive or we've been dead for a thousand years and we're nothing but dust. This was all being done by the most prominent church at the time. What have others done? How much more have others, other countries, other religions, tried to stamp out God's word and censor it? Eventually, the invention of the Gutenberg Press and the, the printing of the Gutenberg Bible just made it to where the Catholic Church couldn't keep people from owning a Bible. There were just too many. The access was becoming too ready for them to be able to stop it. It was then that people got their hands on a Bible in a language that they could read. And that was in the 1500s. At other times, it was just destroyed. In Jeremiah chapter 36, we have an example of this. Jeremiah was told by God, write down the words that I have given you, and have it read in the hearing of the people, that they may turn back to me. So Jeremiah did it. He had Baruch write down the words of the law, and he had Baruch take it to the temple and read the words of the law, read the words of God in the temple that they 
may repent. Well, Baruch gathered quite a crowd, and he was removed from that setting for his own safety. And that scroll made it into the hands of King Jehoiakim. It was read in his presence, and every time a section of it was read, Jehoiakim took a knife, cut it off, and threw it into the fire until the whole scroll had been burned. That's just one example, but I'm sure we can think of others where God's word has been burned or in other ways destroyed. And then persecuting those who preach it. Um, primarily the prophets and the apostles. In 1 Kings 19, after the victory on Mount Carmel, Elijah was sent into hiding. Why? Because Jezebel was pursuing him. He ran to Mount Horeb, to Mount Sinai, and hid there, feeling like he was all alone. In Jeremiah chapter 38, just two chapters over from the reading of God's word in the presence of Jehoiakim, Jeremiah was lowered into a muddy cistern. This wasn't your ordinary prison. This was a hole filled with mud. And that's all it was. And then in 2 Chronicles chapter 24, we'll turn to this one. 2 Chronicles 24, this is during the reign of Joash, king of Judah. Now Joash was the, the only surviving son of David's lineage at this point. He was saved as a baby from his grandmother, Athaliah, who wanted the throne for herself. She was on the throne and had all of her grandchildren killed except for Joash, who was hidden away with Jehoiada the priest. Well, time goes on, Jehoiada dies, and Joash forgets all the things that Jehoiada did for him, and he turns his back on the Lord. So in 2 Chronicles chapter 24, starting in verse 20, Then the Spirit of God came upon Zechariah the son of Jehoiada the priest, who stood above the people and said to them, Thus says God, Why do you transgress the commandments of the Lord so that you cannot prosper? Because you have forsaken the Lord, he also has forsaken you. So they conspired against him, and at the command of the king, they stoned him with stones in the court of the house of the Lord. Thus Joash the king did not remember the kindness which Jehoiada his father had done to him, but killed his sons. And as he died, he said, The Lord look on it and repay. God's word is censored in a number of ways, one of which is by persecuting those who preach it, and in Acts chapter 7, when Stephen addresses the Jews, he says just that, that you killed the prophets, and then you killed Jesus. You killed the Son of God. And then they picked up stones and stoned him. In Acts chapter 12, we have the record of James, the apostle, being killed by King Herod for preaching. And in 2 Corinthians 11, in 2 Corinthians 11, Paul is 
he's having to defend his apostleship by stamping out the claims of others who claimed to be apostles but were not. And during this, during this back and forth, he tries to use reason. He tries to get them to understand through ration, rational thinking, but they don't. And these false prophets, these false apostles, have resulted to boasting. Boasting in what they've done and who they are. Paul says, if you want to boast, if you want to act foolishly and boast, I can boast. Starting in verse 22, he says, Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep. In journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fasting often, in cold and nakedness. Besides what he went through daily, his concern for the churches. What had Paul been through for the cause of Christ? The thing is, this was written to the Corinthians only part of the way through his journeys. He has more to suffer, more to go through before he's done. Think about what Paul looked like. He, he probably wasn't very pretty to look at. The scars on him, across his face, across his back, his arms, everywhere. But those scars, don't they speak? Don't they speak to his dedication to serving Jesus and to the truth of what he was saying? We'll look at some more ways that God's word can be censored in a few minutes. But how do we react? How do we react when God's word is censored? Do we take to Facebook? Do we take to social media and grumble and complain? Or do we get busy? Do we make an effort to go out into the community in one way or another and preach and teach? One of the best uses of social media is to connect with people so that you can meet them in person or meet up with them in person. Use that as a platform to share announcements for meetings and announcements for singings or Bible classes in your home. That's how we can use Facebook to share the gospel. We can type out sermons and long articles on Facebook and it takes two seconds to scroll right by it. You'll get a handful, maybe, maybe 20, maybe 50 responses, who knows. But you may do more just by inviting people into your home. So how did the apostles respond? In 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1, Paul says, Imitate me as I imitate Christ. So let's look to the apostles. Let's look to their example and how they reacted when they faced these persecutions. We're going to Acts chapter 4. We'll spend a few minutes here in Acts chapter 4. 
Previously, in chapter 3, Peter had healed the lame man. And this was a very public, very well-known event because this man who was lame, he had been sitting by the pool waiting for someone to help him in. He had been there for years and years. He was over 40 years old by the point at which this miracle happened. It was well known among the people. There was no way that the Jews could do anything about it, as we'll read in a minute. But in chapter 4, verse 18, it says, So they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor to teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way of punishing them because of the people, since they all glorified God for what had been done. There's the response of the apostles. They say, you judge. You decide if it's right for us to obey you rather than God. We're going to see in a minute that they made the wrong choice. And the apostles are going to get a bit stronger in their verbiage. But in verse 23, And being let go, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. They reported back to their own. And then, starting in verse 24, they go to God. They go to God and pray that they never face any trials again, that they never have to suffer for their faith, that they can live peaceably forever. Right? No. That wasn't their prayer at all. It's not wrong to pray for peace. It's not wrong to pray for change in our leaders. We prayed for that tonight, and that's good. But greater than that is a prayer for boldness. So when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the mouth of your servant David have said, why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the other people of Israel, were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. They didn't pray for peace. They didn't pray for a government that would let them do what they wanted. They prayed for boldness to do what they had to do regardless of what the nations did or said. They were going to serve God. So what do we see them do in verse 31? And when they had prayed, the place where they assembled together was shaken And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. They went out and did it. They prayed for it, and then they did it. 
So we see the reaction of the apostles. What's our action? You know, we have our reaction, and then we have our action. What are we going to do about it? We've already said that maybe, maybe our best tool use of social media is to invite people, to get people into our homes and ready to study. Well, we're going to continue with the same narrative in, in chapter 5 because the apostles aren't done. They're not done by a long shot. In verse 12, And through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. Were they hiding? No. They were in public. They were in the open squares. They were at the temple. They were on Solomon's porch, which was also called the Court of Women. It was the closest to the actual temple that women were allowed to get. So they were in a place where everybody could access them, where everybody could come. They were in public. And they were going to preach. Then verse 15, So that they brought the sick out into the streets and laid them on beds and couches, that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might fall on some of them. Also a multitude gathered from the surrounding cities of Jerusalem, bringing sick people and those who were tormented by unclean spirits, and they were all healed. There is nothing private. There, there is no little corner conversation going on over here among believers. This is open, public, and there's very little anyone can do about it because God's work is being done among these men, through these men. So what happens? They're out in public. Inevitably, they're going to get thrown in prison again. Well, it happens. They're thrown in prison, and right away, an angel is there to let them out. And in verse 20, in verse 20, the angel says, Go, stand in the temple, and speak to the people all the words of this life. Go back and keep doing it. That's what he says. And when they heard that, they entered the temple early in the morning and taught. They didn't delay. As soon as they could, they went back and kept teaching. They kept preaching. God was with them, and people were believing. The message was being taught. It's not long before they're back before the Jewish leaders again, of course. And the Jews go back to the same reasoning they were using before. Verse 28, saying, Did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name? And look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood on us. That's funny. These are the same men who not long ago, at the trial of Jesus, said, His blood be on us and on our children. Now they say, We want nothing to do with this man or his blood. And Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you murdered by hanging on a tree. Him God has exalted to his right hand to be prince and savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses to these things, and so also is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. What are we seeing here? The Jews made the wrong choice. The Jews decided to come back and pursue them again. Stop talking in this name. 
then they just come out and say, we ought to obey God rather than men. You chose wrong, now we're choosing for you. We ought to obey God rather than men. So this was the action of the apostles. What's our action? How do we respond? Are we busy? Are we pushing all the more to teach and to bring others to Christ? I said that there were other ways that we could censor God or that he could be censored. Now we bring it home. Are we censoring God every day in our words? When we tell people that we don't drink, inevitably they'll ask, well, okay, why don't you drink? Well, I just think it's better for my health if I don't drink. You know, alcohol, it's just not good for you. It'll cause liver issues and it's bad for you. No. If we believe that alcohol is wrong because God said we're not to be intoxicated, then we need to say that. We need to say that's why we don't drink alcohol. If people ask, why don't you live with your girlfriend? You've been together for years. Well, I would just, you know, I just want to wait or my parents want me to wait until I'm married. We're censoring God again. I don't do this because it is not what God wants me to do. We need to say that. That'll have more impact on someone than our half-hearted answer with little, if any, logic. Are we censoring God in our actions? If we say God is most important in our lives, and yeah, we know we shouldn't drink, but we go out after work and do it anyway, what does that say? What does that say to our coworkers? We know that we shouldn't do this, but we're going to go do it anyway because we want to. How important does God's word become in their minds based on how important it looks to us. Exactly. It means nothing. Just like we show in our lives that it means nothing. And the same could be applied in any other situation. The Jews were guilty of censoring God. I'm starting to be convinced that Mr. Steve has me send him my, or has me send him my material so that he can steal it and use it right before I get ready to use it. I say that because we're going back to Matthew 23, verse 23, this evening. We talked about this this morning, the imbalanced practice of the Jews. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. I guess he just has to go and say it right before I come up here and say it wrong. Um, But here, the Jews are censoring God because they're taking what they want and applying it and making it most important to them. Notice that they're taking the things that they can control. They can control their tithe. It's something measurable. And 
actual. It's very technical, and eventually it becomes mindless, right? The, that's, the, that's the easy thing, the technical thing. What are they leaving off? Justice and mercy and faith. Jesus says, these, ought, these you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. They censor God when they put one matter above another as more important. And that's, that's easy for us to do. In recent years, preachers have started shying away from preaching about grace and mercy and faith because those have been distorted by so many so we don't want to get up here and talk about mercy or grace and say the wrong thing. Because if we say the wrong thing, oh, they're going to think we're one of those. But grace and mercy are essential. We have to preach about those in balance. Because if we, if we only talk about the things we can control, our actions, while all they talk about is emotions and God is love, he won't hurt you. We're on two different ends of the spectrum, and neither of us are right, because the Bible is here in the middle. There is love and grace and mercy here, just like there is accuracy and attention to detail and following of commands here. It's all together, and it's all balanced we have to keep it balanced. Otherwise, we turn people off because it's in balance and it doesn't line up with what's in here. The Jews also censor God by elevating their traditions. In Matthew chapter 15, in Matthew chapter 15, the Jews come to Jesus and say, "Why don't you wash your hands?" Why don't you or your apostles wash your hands before you eat? Here's how Jesus responds. Why do you also transgress the commandment of God because of your tradition? For God commanded, saying, Honor your father and your mother, and he who curses father or mother, let him be put to death. But you say, Whoever says to his father or mother, Whatever profit you might have received from me is a gift to God then he need not honor his father or mother. Thus you have made the commandment of God of no effect by your tradition. They put their tradition of giving that money to God above the commandment of God to honor father and mother. They censored God. They censored his word by elevating their traditions. And why would they do that? Why would they elevate that tradition? Which looks better? Taking care of your parents, seeing that they're well off, that, you know, that they're doing okay and that they have what they need? Or taking a big chest of gold and laying it at the temple doors? What looks better on the outside? But what looks better to God? Are we censoring God? 
in our actions? Are we censoring God in our conduct, in our traditions? In previous decades, and especially in the 50s and 60s, when the house church movement and the um, donations to orphans' home and a lot of that was so prevalent in the church, even in the conservative churches, that was a tradition that was being elevated above God's command. It took time and strong preaching on the subject to change that, to correct that. But until it was corrected, there was tradition being held above the commandment. Are there other things, maybe in your family or in your personal life, that your traditions, your wishes, have become more important than God's command? Are you censoring God every day in your actions by not following his commands, by not being pleasing to him? So the question to you tonight is do you need to come to Jesus tonight? Do you need forgiveness for sins you've committed? Do you need the prayers of this congregation? Do you need to put on Christ in baptism for the remission of your sins? If we can help you tonight, please come as we stand and as we sing together.